Thank you for the music, and I'd like for you to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. We're going to be looking at how to be better off. The word better occurs over and over again in this uh, series of Proverbs, and so in turn, we are going to be looking at this. If you will look in chapter 7, verses 1 through 14, it says, A good name is better than a good ointment, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, because that is the end of every man, and the living takes it to the heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than for one to listen to the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorn brushes under a pot, or bushes under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool, and this too is futility. For oppression makes a wise man mad. And a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Patience of spirit is better than haughtiness of spirit. Do not be eager in your heart to be angry, for anger resides in the bosom of fools. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask about this. Wisdom alone with a, an inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection just as money is protection. But the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. Consider the work of God for who is able to straighten what he has bent. In the day of prosperity, be happy. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not discover anything that will be after him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just pray that you'll just open our eyes to your truth. God, just speak to our hearts, deal with our lives. We thank you for this opportunity to allow your word and your spirit to speak to us. We need it, Lord. We uh, thank you for it, and we just ask you to deal with our lives. Only you can see into our hearts as uh, you're God and you know all things. And so, God, just reveal to us, uh, for we don't even see in our hearts the way that we should at times. And so, reveal to us what we need to uh, have revealed. And I pray that we'll be obedient, and Lord, by faith, uh, do the things that you would have us to do. And that's only done by your grace if it's going to be um, a victorious doing in our lives. And so I just pray that uh, you'll help us in our journey, Lord, with you. That you'll lead us and guide us as only you can. So uh, speak to us in a very special way as you see fit tonight. As you see what we need. And I pray that we will heed to what you tell us. In Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes uh, 1, 12 through 18, Solomon had earlier uh, come, or so it seemed, to the conclusion that wisdom did not make life worth living. He said, 
for in much wisdom is much grief. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he, he wasn't too much on wisdom. He thought that, you know, he had, he had it, and now look at what uh, his life was. And then in verse 18 of uh, chapter 1, it says, He that increases knowledge increases sorrow. Now the preacher makes a second look at the problem. But this time he modifies his view. And in chapters 7 and 8, he discusses the importance of wisdom in life. And the word wisdom is used 14 times in these two chapters. And he also answers the question asked in Ecclesiastes 6.12, For who knows what is good for man in this life? Wisdom may not be able to answer or explain all of life's mysteries, but it sure can help. He lets us know. So in the first verses of chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes, Solomon bombards the readers with some proverbs. As you notice, there was some comparisons there. Solomon has uh, let the uh, reader know that he doesn't know what is best in life, but here... He informs the reader that he has ideas as to some things that are better than others. I may not have the answers, but there I have come to the conclusion that there are some things better than others. And the terms good or better than are clearly emphasized uh, throughout these uh, proverbs. And so, what, proverb, what are Proverbs? Often Proverbs and Scriptures appear in one of three forms of couplets here. And so the first form is contrastive couplets. These are connected by the terms but or nevertheless. Now what do they do? They intensify the meaning by throwing a contrast into the thought. Like a wise man accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Proverbs 13.1. But then there's completive couplets. And these are connected by the terms and or so. And a proverb that completes a thought for the sake of emphasis. That's what it means. An example of that is Proverbs 14.10. There's many of them, but I'll just pull this one out. The heart knows its own bitterness, and a, strong, a stranger does not share its joy. So it is for the sake of emphasis. But then they come to this last group, which the preacher seems to be using here, and that is the comparative couplets. These are connected by the terms better than or like so. And these proverbs are uh, similar to contrastive proverbs, except with these, the sta they state one thing as being more valuable than another. And that's what the preacher is doing here. Solomon. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. Or another proverb, better is a dish of vegetables where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. So 
as wisdom returns to Solomon, it will be seen in a series of these comparative uh, couplets. Better is a key word in the chapter, in chapter 7. And the preacher used it at least 11 times. And, and with the preacher's uh, search in his life, he seeks out those things which are better or best. The better things that Solomon described which come to the person who follows wisdom probably came also as a shock. Because if you, as we look at these Proverbs, you'll say, really? How did he come to this conclusion, you know? So the first one is, in verse 1, it says, A good name is better than a good ointment. Well, we can see that. The word ointment might be rendered a good perfume today or a, a good cologne or fragrance. Perfume, what does it do? It has the ability to attract others if it's the right kind of perfume and not too heavily used. A good name carries with it that reputation of attracting people. The preacher tells us that a good name is that sweet aroma like perfume that attracts other people. But there's something better here. And that is it endures where perfume soon wears off. So, you know, passing... A, free, a, a wonderful aroma, a, a sweet or good smelling aroma. You know, it's nothing like passing a good restaurant, right? Where there's a, an aroma that permeates you. And oh man, it just permeates the area and, and your nostrils. And you just say, ooh, ooh. You know, and you want, you want to go in. But many times if you're going to eat, you don't go in. You wait. Why? Because you're going to a restaurant that already has a reputation you know about. And so the reputation many times comes above just that sweet aroma. Now you may come back and try it out later when you have some time, but a lot of times you go to restaurants upon their reputation. I mean, even some of these uh, fast food hamburger places smell great as you pass them by but then you know uh, that you're going to a restaurant that you know about and maybe that uh, fast food hamburger place you don't know about just the uh, hamburgers that are cooking that smells good so the preacher tells us that a good name is preferred over something which simply smells good in other words a good name a good reputation is more lasting more important than something that soon dissipates. Now, what kind of name? This is what we need to be asking with this. What kind of name are we making for ourselves? Does it have an, a, a sweet aroma? Now, I'm not talking about perfection. I wish all of us could be perfect, but we can't. We know that the Lord was the only one perfect. But we do know that even with mistakes, we can have a sweet aroma in our life by the way that we present ourselves, by the way that we live, and let people know when we fail, we fail. But we know that God has forgiven us and we want to forsake 
whatever the failure is and make good? Are you known, you know, we, we look at the aroma and what kind of aroma are we putting out in our lives? It, it could be a critical spirit or it could be a sweet smelling spirit of cheerful spirit. Are we known for speaking absolute truth? Are we known for telling stories that are made up, that are hard to believe? Are we generous with what we have? Or do we have a reputation for being a tightwad or stingy? Are we known for taking information that we've heard and sharing it with the Lord and Him only, are we known for sharing it with other people before even taking it to the Lord? Or we may not even take it to the Lord. That's what you call gossip. As someone said, character is as character does. And we may not think so, but sooner or later we'll be known for the character that we portray. Our attempt for making a good name should not be primarily for us, uh, nor just for our family, but it should be for Christ and His kingdom. Now, what kind of reputation, what kind of person are we described as among other people? We should be asking ourselves that. Then second of all, if you'll see the second part of this goes along with it, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Now, this is what I said. You know, some of them probably said, whoa, now Solomon, where are you coming? How did you come about this? You know, this proverb is kind of hard to say better than. The day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. Well, it kind of goes with, along with the reputation if you think about it. Some take this proverb to mean it's better to come to the end of your life with a good reputation, a good name than to have a joyous and, uh, you know, auspicious uh, beginning uh, that carries on with, uh, you know, folly and, and might result in nothing. And this uh, certainly applies to someone who has lived a meaningful Christian life and their life has uh, been centered around God and His kingdom work and they're ready to meet the Lord. And then others believe this to mean that uh, sometimes a funeral, as painful as it is, and you think about this, both of these can go along with this, is better than a party or a birth. Why? When we're confronted with death, we are no longer dealing with just side issues. The joy of seeing a little one come into the world or seeing that smile and just being so happy about a child. I mean, that's wonderful. But how many times at birth do we think about death? And what do we think about when we are confronted with death? Death leads to realism. In other words, though it will bring sorrow, grief, and mourning, you're faced with reality, aren't you? At a funeral, you're faced with reality. In a sense, a day of a believer's death is the best day of all. Thomas Boston wrote, 
In the day of his birth, he was born to die. But in the day of his death, he dies to live. Boston went on to describe death as a day when we enter a better world, higher perfection, and better employment than the world we entered on the day we were born. So in that sense, it is. How can we better understand the last day of our life to be the best day? Well, we need to understand the day Christ was born. I think he gives a, a wonderful example. As great a day as that was, his death was even better, wasn't it? Why? Because his death brought about atonement. Did it not? And so in turn, the day he died, he died for our sins. And with that came what? The resurrection. But as wonderful a day as his death was, and that was a great day, as we look beyond Bethlehem to Calvary, the day of the cross, we know after the cross would come the resurrection. So the day when Christ died for atonement of our sins, it was a great day. Sad day, yes, but a great day. To be with God in heaven is to be preferred over being on earth with man. And those who know the Lord in an intimate, personal manner, can say this very thing. Paul did, didn't he? He said, but I am hard-pressed from both directions. In other words, I am between a rock and a hard place, he was saying. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake at this time. In Philippians chapter 1. Verses 23 and 24. Death can be very meaningful in that it not only can be a time of testimony of a God-centered life, but it can be a time of great hope, knowing that we have this hope. The memory of the just is blessed, it says in Proverbs 10, 7, and, and also speaks about this in Proverbs 22, 1. When the person dies with a good name, his reputation is sealed his reputation cannot be hurt in the sense that he has lived it if it's a godly reputation in it. It's there. And for people that know him know this. The life is over and the reputation is settled. Also, when a believer dies, you know where that person is going. And that one day, they who believe have that hope also that they will see them again. That's a promise from God. And so they have gone to be in the very presence of the Lord. As Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many what? Rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? Come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. So that gives us a hope. Hope of not only being with others who have gone on to be with the Lord, but being with the Lord himself. Then he goes on in chapter 7, verse 2. It says it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Boy, he's on death here, isn't it? So, uh, <laughs> bad times. 
He's saying it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting because that is the end of every man and the living takes it to heart. There he is. He's continuing on with this thought. Solomon is telling his readers to look death in the face and learn from it. This does not mean that we're to be so preoccupied with death that we become fearful and we go out and hide. He's saying the preacher is telling us that visiting a funeral parlor is better than gorging oneself in or at a banquet. Why? Because if you're there gorging yourself at a banquet, they may see you at the funeral home soon from dying of a heart. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't mean that. But, uh, because going to a funeral home helps us to think wisely, doesn't it? I mean, when you go to a funeral home, what do you do? You think of that person and that life, and you also, if you're a Christian, you think about where, they're, where they have gone. You see, it brings about mourning, which, first of all, helps us to go to the one and only who can comfort us, and that is Jesus, right? And not only that, it helps us to realize our own mortality. That, hey, that person who is dead was once born into this world just like us. And we will also have to face that. And so it hopefully helps those who are there think about their relationship with the Lord. And it helps us to not only realize our, own, our uh, mortality, but a good funeral will help us prepare to die. Help us to move on and say, hey, are we prepared to, to meet the Lord in the afterlife? Many are not to, uh, prepared to die because they are in their folly, in other words. They are wanting to party all the time, so to speak. In a house of mourning, you see the end of every man. At a party, when you're getting high or whatever and you're having a good time and you're joking and, and enjoying yourself you're not thinking about death are you you're not thinking about where you're going to go when you die it seems today we're kind of overly absorbed with having a good time many people are are using pleasure to to dull the pain so that they don't have to acknowledge the deep uh, needs of their soul they're like trying to fill that hole there with this good time. And there's nothing wrong with having good times, but if you're trying to shut out the reality of what life is all about, there is something wrong with it. And today, every, it seems like a lot of people, want, uh, are, you know, their desire is avoiding confrontation with death at all costs. So much so that we've gotten to a point in our society where people don't even observe a funeral procession. They don't acknowledge it. Man, when most of y'all, when y'all were growing up, what did your parents do and what did you do when you took over driving? When that procession came down, you knew what was, it was all about. It was death. And they were going in mourning and, and they were going to, uh, in, in recognition of that person and, and so in turn... You pulled over to the side in honor of that. 
honoring that and recognizing that because even though you weren't involved in it, you knew about it. And you knew that death was a reality. Man, I tell you as a preacher, Rip can too probably and, and others that have been involved in possessions. Man, you go and I've had policemen have to turn on their siren during the, the possession and turning into the, the graveyard and uh, stop the people because they won't even stop for you and there's a policeman with his light going. It's sad. They don't care to even acknowledge what is happening, it seems like. What happens? We don't take life, when that happens, we don't take life seriously or as serious as we should. The psalmist said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. In Psalm 90, 12. The preacher here is not giving us an either or life, an imbalanced life. He is, has already informed us that we're to enjoy every day of our life. Acknowledge it as though the day has get, been given to us from God. And enjoy every bit of it. But while you're enjoying it, make sure you're enjoying it in the Lord. Knowing that he is the one who has given you all this. The problem is, is that uh, many times we look at death the wrong way. And therefore, either fear it or we, as I said, avoid it. Some become so preoccupied with death that they become abnormal in their behavior and they fear it. They're so afraid of dying. And they're afraid of, if their parents, of, of letting their children do anything because they might die. They become paranoid in, in that sense. And then others ignore it by replacing it with feasting and laughter. Fun and games, never wanting to face its reality. Man's highest purpose in life is not simply to enjoy it, but rather to know God. That's where joy comes, knowing God and serving Him. We'll probably gain more wisdom from attending one funeral than going to many birthday parties. And the point is not so much the gladness, but the soundness of heart here. Dealing with death and with all its sorrow, and not making light of that because it comes with it, makes us a better person as we work through it in the Lord. At the funeral of a saint, we experience the pain of the family, but we also experience many times, if they are a Christian especially, the passion of the church's love. As those people who could make it are there. And if they're not at the funeral, they minister to them. Along with the joy of of grieving, of grieving, but in, we're grieving in the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing that yes, there's a separation there and we've lost someone uh, dear to us temporarily, but we know in the resurrection power that we will be with them one day. 
And then he goes on in verse 3, he says, Sorrow is, is better than laughter, for when a face is a sad heart, uh, may be happy. And so um, this, uh, this continues the theme of death. At a funeral, there is a, a wiser audience, he's saying, than what you might find at some comedian performance. The jokes told by the comedian will probably soon be forgotten, but not so with the words at a funeral. Usually the audience at the funeral is well attentive and remembers more of what was said than a joke. Joke may stay with you for a little while. But when you're faced with death, you know that death is there. This is what the, uh, the preacher is telling us. As one said, laughter is quickly forgotten. Sorrow adds wisdom to a person's life. Comedians delivering the eulogy uh, or uh, comedians usually aren't facing reality, but a preacher at a funeral delivering the eulogy is. Even death can be used by the Holy Spirit to bring life and joy. I've been at some funerals that, uh, you know, they're truly celebrations. They really are. Viewing life from the end to the beginning adds perspective and clarity. Laughter is soon forgotten. Now, laughter is not bad. We should all laugh. We should enjoy life. But when a person uses laughter to face reality, he's just pretending that happiness will make him whole. When a person's heart is sad, his heart may end up happy because he has learned some valuable things about life. And this is what the preacher is trying to tell us. I read a story about a preacher who... Uh, uh, knew some guys who knew this man who had, uh, uh, you know, he, he liked to go camping. And this guy that liked to go camping was not a Christian, but he had plenty of Christian friends. And so this man was a, a great outdoorsman, but he didn't go to church. And they kept on witnessing to him and trying to talk to him about the Lord. And so they were always sharing with him about their relationship with the Lord and and desiring him to come to know the Lord. Well, this man never listened to him. One day when camping in the woods during a storm, he was struck by lightning. While in his sleeping bag in, in, in tent. Well, it shook him up, but it didn't shake him up enough. Because as they shared with him that he needed to come to know the Lord, he didn't listen to him. And he went on. A couple of weeks later, this guy was out camping again and boom he got struck by lightning again this time it kind of fried him into his uh, sleeping bag as cocoon they had cut him out and he had burns and everything and they told him about you know he, he needed to accept the Lord and he again didn't adhere to it well it wasn't much later that he got struck again, but not by lightning this time. He was in his house, woke up one morning, went into the kitchen to turn on the, uh, the light to make breakfast. Boom! The whole neighborhood felt it and wondered what had happened. This boom, it shook everything within so many uh, feet and uh, uh, of his house. 
when the neighbors came running outside to see what happened, they saw smoke coming from this guy's house. Well, when he turned on the light, he had a gas leak. Ooh. This guy, though, made it. He came running out. His hair was burnt and frenzy. There was little ringlets of smoke coming from where his eyebrows used to be. And his, smoke, his face was all smoky and gray. Turns out that he, he, uh, you know, he lived. But they, when they were taking him to the hospital, first they were trying to wash him down because he had all kinds of burns. And when they came to get him, he was still hollering out, God is trying to tell me something. God is trying to tell me something. Well, later they ended up being able to lead him to the Lord. Why is sorrow better than laughter? Well, because laughter doesn't help us face reality, if that's what we're relying on. But I want to tell you, his sorrow and his closeness to death did. Man's highest purpose is not simply, as I said, to enjoy life, but rather to know God. And sorrow can often bring us or lead us to that gladness. And then this last thing that we want to look at, the mind of the wise is in the house of the morning, while the mind of the fool is in the house of pleasure. We'll stop with this one tonight, but it says the mind of the fool, in other words, is at the party. He's discoing. The mind of the fool is at the bar. He's living it up, enjoying himself. The mind of the fool is at the house of feasting, the house of pleasure, in other words. The mind of the fool is wanting only the good times. They think the Christian life should be all fun and games if they're a Christian. And we have that some, don't we? If it's not going to be fun and games, then I don't want to have anything to do with it. A friend of an evangelical preacher was visiting a church member's relative suffering from cancer. Seemed quite clear that this lady was not going to make it. Doctors had told her, you know, she wouldn't. So the friend prayed with the lady and read scripture to her, trying to comfort her. And as he was leaving, another church group, the church that they were attending at the time, came in. But they came in with a little bit different attitude. They came in, and they began to sing, song, sing songs and made statements of proclaiming healing. And that it was already complete. And they believed that she was, going, she, uh, she was healed from this cancer, and they sang these victorious songs. Well, shortly after the funeral, she died. Shortly after that, this friend learned that the church that came in, that they were attending, the church's leadership confronted the woman's family and blamed her death on a lack of faith. The surviving family was devastated. You know, we live in a society of people who only want to hear the good news, don't we? Void of any problems and live a party life. Now, I'm not 
against enjoying life, nor is the preacher. As I've said, we should enjoy every day but the right way. What we need to understand is hard times, though, will come. And they can make you smart. Now, what would you do if you knew you only had one more year to live? What would you do? I think if you were a Christian and you were committed to the Lord, that you would want to change things, wouldn't you? You would want to make sure that you were prepared to meet the Lord at any time during that year. You would probably get more involved. If you weren't tithing, you would start tithing. If you weren't serving in some capacity, you'd probably start serving. You'd make sure that you came to services more often. You'd go to Bible studies. You'd read your Bible. You'd study. You'd pray. You'd make sure that you had that relationship, that close relationship, because you want a relationship where you transcend from this place on earth to eternity, don't you? Without any hiccups. You want to be ready. What we need to understand is these hard times can help us. This is what the, the, uh, the preacher Solomon is telling us. Usually we're not changed so much by doctrine, but doctrine is necessary. Or by theological knowledge, but that is necessary. Not like when we get hurt, are we? When we become desperate. It seems that many times God needs to allow us to experience that desperation, that hurt, to make life real. Great men and women are shaped by pain. And the point is not so much the gladness as it is the soundness of heart. Dealing with death in all its sorrow and difficult times can make us better people. If we'll just allow God to do it. And it's not easy. By the grace of God and through faith in Jesus Christ. Even times of sorrow and adversity can be used by the Holy Spirit. To bring us life and joy. And bring us closer to the Lord. This is what the, 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 um, the preacher. This is what Solomon the king is trying to tell us. Allow God to work through these situations. Don't run from them. Let's bow our heads in prayer.